0: You know, I've noticed over the years that it's not only what you say about the Bible or how you talk about the Bible, but the spirit of the person who delivers it comes through. Um, You know what I mean? The vessel really does. It's just like drinking water out of a hose. You always taste the hose. And uh, that might not be the best analogy, but it, it works. Okay, roll with it. But Ben, I love your spirit, mate. I mean, the spirit that Bren brings the word, it's redemptive, it's life-giving in every way. He really does believe the best in people. He pastors a great church in Alice Springs, and and that community has plenty of its own issues. And he and Danny have done an incredible job building a phenomenal church up there. And I think a lot of it, mate, just to affirm you, and it's not that you need my affirmation, but as a friend, as a fellow pastor and a colleague, um, you know, I think your spirit leads the charge in all of that. What comes out of your spirit is really pure and it's really life-giving. So, come on, let's welcome Pastor ben- Bentifi. Well, good
1: morning, family. How you doing? Oh, thanks so much for having me in Toowoomba. Look, I've got a bit of a conflict because Pastor Dave and Mary Quilty here from Mount Isa. And when I preached for those guys last year, I said, this is my hometown because I did live in Toowoomba. But I did live in Mount Isa. uh, But what I didn't tell them was I was actually born in Toowoomba. So... uh, so this is really my hometown. So, uh, boy, it's good to be back in my hometown. I haven't seen you in a while. You know, my kids thought it was pretty funny. We did a road trip through at the start of the year and I took them past St. Vincent's Hospital and said, that's where, that's where your dad was born, kids. Uh, and my eldest daughter said, you were born in an op shop? Because... Uh, in the Northern Territory, Vinnies ain't a hospital, mate. That's for sure. That's for sure. Gee, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me, Pastor Chris and Sue. Thanks for having us at your church. It's been an incredible honour and privilege to come and serve your vision and serve your people over this weekend. And we love you guys and just have so much regard for you. And if you get to sit with these guys and talk leadership and strategy and discipleship, it's incredible what God has put in their hearts and in their lives. And uh, we just learn so much from you guys constantly on a constant basis and just the way you respond to and deal with issues. And I've really, really appreciated your advice and just sitting with you, especially. in our board table, Pastor Chris around with the ACC State Exec. It's been amazing. So you've got pretty good pastors, gang. Yeah, give them a, give them a tell them you love them, tell them you love them. And how are you? you doing good? It was raining this morning. Two desert dwellers, Danielle and I, we were walking across the car park in the rain and I was just letting my beard hang free like a, like a wild eagle in, in, in the Grand Canyon, and, um, and I said to Daniel, I reckon we're going to be the only two people walking through the rain in the car park this morning going, how great's this? It's amazing. So if you, if you saw us and you thought, who are those two stoners walking through the car park? It's just a guest preacher, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. I wear a jacket to offset the fact that I look weird, it's okay. Special good morning, if you're joining us online... You're so much a part of this. You're so much a part of this. So uh, we're thrilled that you're with us. And right where you're sitting, wherever you're listening, lock into God's Word. I know Jesus has something good for you this morning, like He does for those of us who are on site. So shall we open our hearts and, uh, and uh, get ready for God's Word this morning? I'll get, that was a dress rehearsal, so I'm going to give you one more shot to answer the question, or I'm just going for another coffee, okay? Um, shall we open our hearts for God's Word this morning? Come on, why don't, why don't we pray? King Jesus... All sorts of stuff has followed people in this room around this week, Lord. All sorts of issues, fears and anxieties and challenges, doubts and... People are carrying the burden of all the different things, their own history, their own biography, their own inner world, and then in their families and in their work, and then the brokenness of this world as well. And So Father, we ask in Jesus' name this morning that you would come and in your word, you would shape our hearts and shape our minds. You would minister to us. Just heal us a little bit more today, Father. Just grow us a little bit more today. Don't let anyone leave this place the same this morning as when they walked in. But Lord, move us forward. Take us higher in Jesus' name. Lord, those who feel far away from you today, I pray for them a special prayer in the name of Jesus that when we leave this place this morning they would know I've moved closer to God those who don't know how much you yearn and love for them father I pray they would leave this place today knowing your goodness and knowing your face Jesus and come by your Holy Spirit and minister to us we pray in Jesus name and the church of God said amen and amen her name her name was Jeanette we call her Jenny she came and sat in my office and uh, she has just had an, inter- an incredibly broken background and an incredibly broken past. Her, her-, her face is not symmetrical because the men in her family decided to beat her up and they surrounded her and one of them stomped on her head until it cracked diagonally so her eyes were not level, they were diagonally offset, her whole face was. She spent a long time in hospital and she went into a women's shelter where she could be protected from the violent family members that constantly sought to attack her and assault her and she just had an incredibly broken past. When she came to us she had a shaved head and it looked like a soccer ball the way it had just been restitched in so many places and she sat in my office because one of our leaders had invited her to come and she, she had texted that leader saying, goodbye. I'm going to kill myself today. And the leader called me and said, Pastor Ben, she's saying she's going to kill herself. What do we do? And I said, just tell her the pastor wants to see her. You know, you pull the pastor card, come to the principal's office. And they brought, they, they brought her in and she sat there and she said, and I said, I've heard that you're saying you want to kill yourself. Why? What's going on? And she says, I can't bear to go on living I keep promising God, you know, you don't give me any of this God loves your stuff either because I keep promising God that I'm not going to drink again and I'm not going to smoke weed again and I'm not going to fail again. I keep promising God that and everyone tells me God loves me, but I know God can't love me because you don't know what I've done. She said, I can't face this world anymore. I'm going to jail in a couple of weeks and I can't face this world. I can't look my two sons in the eye knowing that their mum's going to jail and that there'll be no one left to look after them. I said why are you going to jail and she took out a letter and she handed him and said look what this says now she can't read because her life was so broken she never had any schooling and I took out the letter and the letter happened to be from a bank and it said that your credit card payment is late and we'll be deducting an extra 30 dollars charge and she can't read and she thought it was a letter saying because of the money that you owe you're going to jail this poor broken woman just burdened with shame and confused and depressed nowhere to turn to decided because of a 30 dollars fee i'm going to jail i better kill myself and we clarify with her look you're not going to jail it's just like 30 bucks you know and we began to have a conversation about how the gospel applied to her situation how god had so much more for her and it would just be a travesty for her to end her life which was of great value of great value She began to say, you don't understand. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's happened to me. She used to call herself dog. That was how she would usually introduce herself. She didn't do it with me because being the pastor, there was some level of respect. And so she'd call herself by her name. She'd wear long sleeve jumpers, even in 42 degree Alice Springs weather, because she'd covered the scars on her arms from all of the times she'd just pick up a sharp object and cut herself. She felt so dirty and broken and ashamed that some psychological urge within her caused her just to harm herself. And we began to talk. She said, ah, don't give me any of this God loves you stuff. You don't know who I am. You don't want to know what I've done. She must have said it 15 times. And to be honest, I was trying to be compassionate, but I was losing my cool. She was starting to annoy me. So I did what seemed reasonable, what seemed natural at the time. Now, you won't find this in the pastoral care handbook. (laughs) I'm sitting in the chair, and she's sitting across from me. I said, Jenny, just shut up. Shut up. She looked at me, her eyes open wide. And I said, you keep saying you don't know what I've done. You don't know how dirty I am. You don't know how filthy I am. And God can't love me. And don't give me any of this God stuff. And I said, because you think that the gospel is if you change, God will love you. And what you don't understand is the gospel is not if you change, God will love you. It is let God love you. That will change you. So shut up. And she's staring at me. And she's, this one tear trickles down her eye. And I stood up and I said, come here, stand up. She's standing up. It's like, the pastor just told me to shut up now. I think he's going to thump me or something. (laughs) I said, come here. I'm going to give you this in Jesus' name. And I wrapped her in a hug. Now, we had other people in the room. And there's like glass, accountability glass in my office door and stuff. So, again, don't go. This is not the primary counseling strategy of New Hope Church. Just cuddle all the women when they're having a bit of an issue, you know. But on that day, in Jesus' name, I stood with her. And I enfolded her in a brace and said, I'm giving you this on behalf of Jesus. And she broke down and she cried. She'd slept in a riverbed the night before and she had red dirt all over her hair and all over her body. I was wearing a white shirt and and, and the dirt and the tears mingled down and stained my white shirt. And she cried and cried. And you know when you cry that cry that's been so locked up in shame and isolation and loneliness for so long that when it finally comes out, it's Niagara Falls, man. It's like this this is a yearning and, and a cry from the depths of your soul she cried and cried and cried until there was no tears left until there was no noise left in our team we just stood and we all just embraced her and, and we held her until she got it all out and then we prayed the love of god into her life and every single one of us needs the love of god into our life the gospel's not if you change, God will love you. God came and bridged the vast chasm between humanity and himself. And he didn't do it by standing far off and saying, climb a mountain and sit at the feet of the guru. He came and he entered the bloodstream of humanity to give us an invitation, not change and God will love you. Let God love you. Boy, that'll change you. Yeah. Yeah. There's a story about it. See, I, I, I resonated with her shame and I resonated with her pain. I resonated. I've seen it before. I've walked through it before. I drank myself to sleep from 10 years old until I was in my mid-20s. By the time I was a teenager, I was smoking weed and then I was selling it. By the time I was a young adult, I was snorting coke and drinking myself to sleep. And by the time I married my beautiful wife, Danielle, but even to talk to her in the morning, I was making the morning coffee. I'd have to have a slug of Bacardi rum just to get the emotional and psychological wherewithal to face the day. I was, wasn't a rebel. I wasn't wanting to party. I, was, I wasn't, you know, like just wanting to have permanent schoolies week. I was just traumatised and in pain. I'd had a very violent upbringing, been just... Abused in some incredibly painful ways. And, and honestly, every time I was sober, I wanted to die. I was just in pain. Finally, after so much partying and spending all of our money on drugs and booze and me going out and staying out drinking for three days in a row and coming back, my wife, my beautiful wife finally said, I can't deal with this anymore. Your your mum told me I should just leave you and move away, take the money out of the bank account and leave you. Thanks, mum. And she said, said, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you want to change, I'll be here for you. If you want to change, I'll walk with you. So I did something I've never done in my life before. I told her my story. I'd never told anyone my story before because I was convinced if anyone knew me and if they knew the real me and if they really knew what had happened, they wouldn't give me the time of day. They wouldn't be there and they wouldn't hang around because I was unlovable, unlovely and unworthy. That's what I truly believed. Even when I looked in the mirror and I looked at myself, all I saw was loathing and disgust and this voice that said, you don't even deserve to be here. And I would pray, God, if you're real, let me get hit by a bus today. I told her my story and she sat back on her heels and she said, wow, only God could help you. I said, babe, God doesn't help people like me. She prevailed upon me. We got in a car. We drove north to the city of Brisbane. We were living on the Gold Coast at the time and we went to a church and I walked in there thinking, okay, well, I'm probably going to die soon or she's going to leave me. So I'll take the missus to church because at least she'll have a supportive community to be part of when something bad happens to me. And I walked in and I heard the gospel message and I had an encounter with God. Even in the worship time, I felt the warmth and I felt the presence of the Spirit of God. Not that I knew what it was, but I just, it, it was like, you know, when you're thirsty, you don't know what the you don't know the chemical structure of water, but you know, boy, it quenches my thirst. Yeah. Yeah. And I came in and the gospel was preached and I responded to the gospel and everything began to change that day 21 years ago and I began to go through the discipleship journey. And as I went through the discipleship journey, you know, the the addiction started to, I started to spiral out of my addictions. You know, some people have that magic wand story. I got prayed for and I had an instant on the spot magic noodle transformation and all that sort of stuff. I'm really mad at those people because I didn't have that. I I, I had just one step after the other for five years until I basically began to become a sane person. I know you're looking at me going, you're probably not a sane person now, bros. Um, But that's okay, that's okay. I'm better than I was, I'm better than I was. So I resonate with her story because I understand the damaging power of shame. I understand that shame is crippling. I understand that shame is painful. Shame is the sense, it's not guilt. Guilt is you did something wrong and you feel bad about what you did wrong. Guilt is actually mostly the appropriate internal response to wrongdoing. I I, I did something I shouldn't do, I did it so I feel like I shouldn't have done that. Shame is something else. Shame is not I did something wrong. Shame is there's something wrong with you. Shame is I'm wrong. I'm not enough, I I don't have what it takes, there's something broken in me, there's something lacking in me and shame is invisible and private and powerful. Shame is one of the first emotions a newborn baby registers and how they register is is they will turn their face away from the world and in every culture, you know, in cultures, when you study different cultures, facial expressions mean something different. So, so, so you, know, um, you know, in, uh, let's just say, in the Solomon Islands, when you, when you go there um, and you go like this, right, that means, would you like to be my girlfriend? But in New Zealand, if you do that, it means, yes, can I help you when a shopkeeper says something to you? So, uh, you know, when your wife goes into a shop in the Solomon Islands and the shopkeeper goes... You know, it's good of her not to go, yes, you can help me. (laughs) You can get it mixed up. Facial expressions mean something different. Uh, But shame is the same in every culture because it is a physiological response. You don't have control over it. It's not a learned behaviour. Shame is one of the earliest responses a human being has psychologists tell us that everybody comes into this world looking for someone looking for them the biggest question that you have whether you're a boy or a girl a man or a woman the biggest question you have is am i loved am i wanted am i cared for is anyone looking for me do i matter do my dreams matter does my pain matter do i matter and if you feel like you don't matter the response is shame ever notice it's hard to go new places and, and hard to come into a new group maybe you found it hard to come to church today Ever notice if you haven't been to the gym in a couple of weeks, it's sort of hard to get back into it? Squeeze yourself into that lycra two sizes too small and get back out there? Um, I'll tell you why. Because it's a shame response. It's a shame response. We we fear we're not enough. We fear we don't matter. And we're deeply scared and worried and broken that whenever we go somewhere, that really where we're going to go, we don't matter. Because... We all come into this world looking for someone looking for us and we get broken. And life sends us messages that we don't matter. Shame damages your emotions. It causes burnout and fatigue. And it triggers pain responses which must be relieved, which means for most of us, if we've wrestled with addictions, at the source of those addictions is the need to cure the pain of our shame. And you can try to give up the drugs and you can try to give up the booze and you can try to give up the smokes, but you won't be able to do it unless you deal with the shame in your life because the shame causes pain and everything else is just pain relief. Shame limits cognitive and executive functions. You just don't think straight when you're feeling shame. You're a bit like a drunk person. Shame triggers the freeze fight or flight response, hijacks your limbic system and the amygdala in your brain, and you don't even uh, think clearly. All you want to do is protect yourself, and you'll protect yourself by freezing like a deer in headlights waiting for the threat to pass. And that's what happened to me when I was young. So many abusive situations where my freeze response kicked in because I couldn't fight and I couldn't flee. And all I could do is freeze. And then for the rest of my life, I live with the shame. You let that happen to you. You did nothing physiological response to freeze to fight some of us you know we're just we're just always ready to push people away before they even get the chance to love us some of us we're always on a hair trigger ready with an aggressive response a defensive response but you know it's a response to shame because you're always ready to fight because you've got this pain that you're living with and the whole world is against you in your own perception doesn't have to be but it is in your own perception and therefore you're always ready to go on the attack it's a shame response freeze or fight, the other one is flight, sometimes you just won't show your face, you won't get in there and you go from relationship to relationship to relationship, friendship group to friendship group to friendship group, bed to bed to bed to bed, bed. small group to small group, church to church to church and what happens is you think there's something wrong with everybody else but actually it's that you're grappling with shame and what you really think is you think there's something wrong in you, you just don't know you think there's something wrong in you. Shame is just incredibly destructive Shame has long-term effects. It even affects your genetic expression. You can turn on and off genes. And the gene that governs your brain's production of its special fertilizer, it's called um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It fertilizes your brain, helps your brain cells grow and optimize and really be good at what they do. And shame turns off the genes that tell your body to make that. And what happens over time is your brain volume shrinks just a little bit, which is associated with severe incurable clinical depression. Toxic shame will make you depressed in a way that's very hard to get you out of. It may even take a few years to rehabilitate. It can be, but it takes, it takes a while. Any sense of being unwanted, unloved or uncared for triggers a shame response and many of us have had it. Rejection rejection just causes a shame response There's an emerging science, it's called interpersonal neurobiology. And in the field of interpersonal neurobiology, one of the things they've found is that the most healing thing for shame is the loving, available, gracious presence of other people in your life. They don't have to tell you, hey, don't be ashamed. They don't have to tell you, oh, you're, you're, you're freezing or you're fighting or you're flighting, stop doing that, don't be ashamed, God loves you. That, that information won't go into the cognitive centres of your brain what they need to do is they need to be a loving gracious available presence in your life and they need to send you messages in all sorts of ways messages with eye contact that say hey i'm happy to see you messages with a smile that say you you're welcome here messages that 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 say hey how's it going and step closer to you rather than oh how's it going and none of those are you know see every actually every one of us could do this for people by the way you don't need special training you don't need to be a counsellor all you need to do is find how many different ways and what are all the ways i could send you a message and here's the message you matter your pain matters your dreams matter and if we were a community that makes sure that every time we interface someone we see it as an opportunity to say to them no matter what we really say see it's a bit stalkerish if i'm on the front door of church this morning and you come in especially if it's your first time and i'm like good morning friend you matter your pain matters and your dreams matter you're probably going to find another church where they don't put stalkers on the front door, right? Okay, So it's not obvious. It's got to go to your intuition. It's got to go to your vibe. It's the vibe, people. You've got to absorb it. It's got to leach into you in unspoken and unwritten ways. And so a hug says, you matter. When someone listens to your story, it says, you matter. When someone goes, hey, come and sit with us, you're saying to them, you matter. When someone says, hey, bro, nice beard, to, to the preacher after the service, It matters it matters your beard's looking good i wasn't talking to you i was talking to my nana she's sitting on the on the third row behind me (laughs) love heals shame love from god and love from god is first discovered by love through people in the christian community So if you're here today and the stuff I've said about shame is is triggering you, that's actually a bit good. Because that's a cue to you to go, oh, wow, this could be a diagnosis for invisible barriers that I seem to keep facing. You know, we often will go round and round the mulberry bush with the issues that we face in our life. And shame will keep you going around the mulberry bush. And look, I'm not accusing any of you of anything. You will look far more functional than than I have been. But, you know, I really struggled to break alcohol and drug addictions over my life. Eventually I got to the point where I was free from everything and I looked back and realised that if someone had talked to me about shame earlier and helped me realise that was the source, that was the glass ceiling on my life, then I might have been able to to, to change that dynamic. And it wasn't until I discovered the shame response and someone talked to me about it and we processed and we unpacked it and I thought, man, this is like you're telling me my whole biography what's going on in this shame dynamic. And they prayed with me and they hugged me and I cried and, and opened up about it. Vulnerability is such a great cure for shame the very thing you're most scared to do that's what you have to do you have to open up you have to come close you have to come back to church you have to be with people they talked to me about shame and the very next day i went to work and it got later in the day and i was starting to feel hungry how many people you know when it's food time you get a rumbly tummy no one here you're all ashamed of your food addictions i know i know I, I got a rumbly tummy. So I um, looked at my watch. I thought, gee, it must be lunch. I looked at my watch. It was midday. And I burst into tears in my workplace when I realized what the time was because it was the first day in 15 years that I didn't say, God, if you're real, let me get hit by a bus today. I'm not joking, friends. And I realized I just had my first day and I made it to lunch without wanting to be dead. And I realized I kind of feel happy. These are good, these are good tears, by the way. I kind of feel happy. And only years, 20 years later, my beautiful wife and I, we've got a close marriage and we've got three amazing daughters. Our 19-year-old just moved to Brisbane to go to university. Our 17-year-old, she's about to finish school this year. She's studying, so we barely see her. We just slide a pizza under her door every now and then change the paper on the bottom of her cage floor. You know, like, <laughs> that's how it is. And then my youngest one, she's 15 years old. You know, they've grown up in a home where they've never seen their mother punched in the face and slammed and thrown across the room. And they've never been told you're worthless and they've never been raped and abused. And all of that is because Jesus came and walked on the waters of the shame of my life. There's a powerful story about how Jesus responds to shame. It's found in Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses. That's the chapter 19 of Luke, verses 1 through to 10. I'm going to read it real quick. it's just going to tell you one or two things about it. It says, Jesus entered Jericho. Everybody say Jericho. And he was passing through. Everybody say passing through. It's important dynamic in the story. Passing through means no intentions to stick around. Everybody say passing through. He's passing through. He's not hanging around. He's not hanging around, it's, which is weird. It's weird that he's not passing through because in the ancient Near Eastern culture, when a visiting dignitary comes to your village, what happens is the entire entire village lines the entry to the village and the dignitary would enter the village and walk through the line. And at the end of the line would be the most important, richest, and powerful. And by the way, in the first century world, if you were rich and powerful, they thought automatically you were holy. So the most rich, powerful, holy people would be at the end of the line. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the synagogue people and and the people who were, on the take from Rome and all sorts of stuff. They, they would align the city. They would be at the end of the line. And the idea was that you would show them how important they were. If you were the visiting guest, that you would go, oh, hello. And they would extend hospitality to you. And you would say yes. And you would take them up on their hospitality. You weren't allowed to refuse their hospitality. And they weren't allowed to refuse you hospitality because it was a mutual system that said, this is how we tell people how they're important. This is how we know who's the most important people in town. The visitor goes to their place for lunch because that's how you demonstrate you're important and I'm important. And he, Jesus comes to Jericho and he's just passing through. It's a weird story because if you know, Jesus barely passes through anyway. He's oh, How many stories are there of Jesus having a meal with someone? And all of those meals are, are Jesus being hosted hospitably to demonstrate, Jesus, you're a valued guest, come and eat at my place. okay? And there's so many stories about it. But Jesus is passing through. So that's a bit weird. The Jericho people probably got their nose out of joint. probably a couple of miffy people in the crowd, maybe like there is to me this morning, and uh, they're a bit upset about it because Jesus is supposed to not pass through. He's supposed to stick around. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector okay listen in the first century you know this everybody hated tax collectors tax collectors were corrupt they were on the take from Rome and 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 they were betraying their people and Zacchaeus is not a tax collector he he is a chief tax collector you understand well if you hate the tax collectors imagine the boss that the tax collectors work for okay he's the mafia kingpin he's the he's the head honcho of corruption in his area and Zacchaeus was there he was wealthy he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, everybody say short, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Okay, okay, you just need to know. Give me a Bible nerd moment for you. In the first century world, there were rules about the structure and the outlay of villages. They were made by the rabbis because they didn't want people to die unnecessarily. They wanted to kill you with stones instead when you sinned. Does that make sense? And so one of the rules was, it's a bizarre rule, but one of the rules was no fig trees inside the city limits. Well, why? Especially no sycamore fig trees inside the city limits. Why? Because in the, the sycamore fig tree is a large tree. You know, you've got lots of large trees around here, and it's such a picturesque way to drive through the streets and look at the large trees while you smell the V8 fumes. It's pretty cool. And um, but but in in, in in Jericho, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. There's no big trees in the middle of town. Okay, and here's why: because in the first century world, stones are made out of uh, houses are made out of stone and mud brick and, and and thatched roofs and all this sort of stuff. And those big trees if there's a storm or wind or, or rain then those branches fall down and then they fall on your house and cloak you in the head in your sleep and you're dead or they knock over your house so they're very dangerous when housing structures aren't good okay you've seen damage in this town from you know big branches falling through roofs of old Queenslanders or something like that okay imagine a town where, the, where it's a thatched roof or a mud hut so no sycamore trees inside the city limits And so Zacchaeus comes up with a plan because Jesus is just passing through. Luke's already told us that. He's not sticking around. He's not staying. So Zacchaeus goes, well, what I'll do is I'll go out of town because Jesus is heading out of town. So I'll go out of town and I'll climb up one of those trees that are not allowed to be planted in town and I'll hide up there. And when Jesus comes past, I'll get to see him. That's pretty cool. And so Jesus has entered Jericho. He was passing through, not sticking around. He has now exited Jericho because he's gotten to the foot of the sycamore tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Okay, you know how Jesus was just passing through? You know that because I said it a couple of times before. Okay, you know how Jesus was passing through? Um, yeah, he's not doing that anymore. Jesus just made a new plan. He was passing through. He was not sticking around. He's entered town. Nah, yeah, I know all the rich people, all the powerful, all the important people. I know you're there. I know you want me to come over. I ain't coming to your place, man. I'm leaving town. And they're offended anyway, probably because he's broken the rules. But then he's left town. He's on the outskirts of town. He gets to the foot of the sycamore tree and Jesus decides, I was just passing through, but now I'm sticking around. And I smell a little shorty up a tree. (laughs) Zacchaeus, I'd love to get in a time machine and do therapy with Zacchaeus. Give him therapy. I don't want therapy off him. He sounds like a psychopath to me. Um, Because Zacchaeus is a Greek word. And it is a Greek word that is a contraction or what is formally called a diminutive of a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is Zechariah, Zechariah. It can have two Hebrew meanings, Zechariah. Zechariah can mean the Lord remembers. Well, that's pretty cool. Or Zechariah can mean bright, shining, righteous one. Now, my name's Benjamin, Benjamin. It means son of my right hand. I think that's pretty cool. But I only get called Benjamin when I'm in trouble, okay? The rest of the time, I get called Ben. Ben is a shortened version of Benjamin. Benjamin, people who are my friends, call it to me. In our family, my children know that I do not like being called O. And people do it to me all the time. I live in Alice Springs. I'm going to get a number plate that says not Beno.". <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. And they know that. So because I don't like it, I'll get called Benno all the time at my house. If you see my wife in the break after the service, please pray for her. She has incredible issues. (laughs) Me being the primary one. I hate being called Benno. Benno, see, if my children call me Benno, right, it's a diminutive form. It means the name's being shortened as a form of mockery, okay? So think about this. Zacchaeus... Is probably not his real name. Zacchaeus is the diminutive of Zechariah. Zacchaeus has probably his real name, which means bright, shiny one. But if I call him in Greek Zacchaeus, it is the shortened version of it. And what it really means is it means little, bright, shiny one. Zacchaeus is the full, bright, shiny one. Zacchaeus is little, bright, shiny one. And remember, he's short. Right? My parents named me Bright Shining One. I'm come, come to my place, my friend. Okay? But I'm short. So I'm Little Bright Shining One. And short Zacchaeus grows up his whole life being Little Bright Shining One. He had so much potential. Bright Shining One, the Lord remembers name. There's a book of the Bible with prophets in your name. Woo! Little fella. Zacchaeus is the domin- what? What that means, of course, is that his whole life he's been mocked, and his whole life he's been an outcast, and his whole life he's been rejected. We know that for two reasons. Number one, because Zechariah has been shortened to Zacchaeus. It's a wordplay, not a very kind one, by the way. And secondly, in the first century world, if you are unusually short, which Luke makes the point in the original language of his text, that Zacchaeus is not just short, like, you know, like we got here and then here. Like my kids say, I'm a bit shorter than my basketball six-foot friends. Um, uh, but, but that's like normal shortness. It is, guys, it's normal. Um, but, but then there's like abnormal shortness, like dwarfism. And, and like Zacchaeus has the type of shortness that if you study the language of the first century world, and remember the person writing this gospel is Luke, who is a doctor, who gives you a lot of physiognomy in his gospel which means he uses a lot of medical terms which don't just have physical connotations but they have psychological and spiritual connotations okay when we say that Zacchaeus is small of stature what we're really saying is he's not large of stature he's of no status what that means is of course is Zacchaeus is not only physically short but he's spiritually stunted He's morally, there's something wrong with him. Why? Because in the first century world, they believe that if you have a problem, that's your problem. God wouldn't let you have a problem. If you weren't holy, if you were righteous and holy, you wouldn't have a problem. But you've got a problem because you're worthless. And So he's grown up with shame. And some of us actually, by the way, we believe that same thing. That, that if God loved me and God was with me, I wouldn't have had this issue. But friends, the presence of your problems is not evidence of the absence of God. And it's certainly not the absence of God's love. And if there's something we learn from this story is that Jesus was passing through, not hanging around, and little short Zacchaeus, who's been an outcast and teased his entire life, morally and spiritually suspect. By the way, I wonder why he went on to become a chief tax collector then. Almost always seen his pain medication. But Jesus is walking through town and he's left town and he gets to the bottom of the tree and his plans instantaneously change. Zacchaeus, I must come and stay at your house today. In the Greek, there's a wonderful wordplay, it says that when Zacchaeus went down, he hurried up the tree and then when Jesus gets to the foot of the tree, he says, Zacchaeus, having hurried up that tree, hurried down the tree and then it says, and Zacchaeus hurried down and welcomed him gladly and the term welcomed him gladly is the official ancient world language for through him an official reception. What Zacchaeus got to do was what the other people in town really wanted to do, but Jesus was just passing through. He wasn't hanging around. So guess what's so crazy is Jesus gets to the foot of the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I see you. Zacchaeus, come out of hiding. Zacchaeus, you're off there in the fig leaves. Oh, that reminds me of a story about your great, 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 granddaddy, Adam and Eve. Because I walked through their garden once and they were sinners and they made, they knew they were naked, And vulnerability is hard, and so they took fig leaves and they covered themselves with it. They went and hid amongst the things that God gave them as gifts. By the way, we do that all the time too. We cover our vulnerabilities with all this other stuff, don't we? And Jesus is having a Genesis 3 reenactment because when Luke says it's a fig tree, he uses the same Greek word as the fig leaves that Adam and Eve made in Genesis 3. So what we're really being told is we're being told it's all happening again. God is walking through the garden, and the broken, ashamed people. We were naked. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? By the way, God is asking that question not for His benefit; He's asking it for your benefit. God ain't stressed. Oh my gosh, only I had only two of them, and now I've lost them. Where'd they go? But in the gospel, God always comes and He stands and He looks for us and He seeks for us and He hunts for us. And what He says is, He says, where are you? And He's asking you to take a good look at yourself and say, well, where am I? God, I'm I'm, I'm naked. I'm hiding. I'm hiding because I'm afraid. And the gospel message sounds so much like this, friends. Come out of hiding. God must join lives with you. And if God joins lives with you, that will change everything about your life. Zacchaeus, come down out of your tree. I must join lives with you. And Zacchaeus hurries down and welcomes him gladly, throws him an official reception. They have a big party. And of course, I'm going to finish, but listen to this. So then um, he came down, he welcomed him. Then all the people saw this and they began to mutter. Just give me a ripple of muttering through the crowd. Go, go, go. Oh, you sound you're too practiced at that, guys. (laughs) That's got to stop. That's got to stop. All the people muttered and they said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, they're offended. He wouldn't stick around for us. And what, what, Hang on, why, why all of a sudden is Zacchaeus the most important person in the village? Because that's what Jesus is saying. He's gone, he's gone to be with a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Listen to this. Listen to Jesus' justification for why everybody else is offended. Listen to Jesus' reasons for doing what he's doing. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save the lost. The Greek word "seek" for seek is the Greek word zateo to seek in the start of the story when we get introduced to Zacchaeus in the Greek text the ancient text that we get translated into English it says Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus that he might see who he was Zacchaeus seeking runs climbs up a tree hides in the fig leaves away from the crowd no persecution no shame but what he doesn't know is so you think you're seeking something in life but then we find out the nice little bookend to the story the whole time Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. so I must. Gee, no, no. Zacchaeus, I'd kind of like to come to your place, mate. No. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. Here's what's crazy about that story that most people leave unnoticed. In the first century world, why it was so offensive for Jesus to eat with sinners is because to have table fellowship with someone, to have a meal with someone, was seen in the first century culture as equal to saying hey let's join lives together when I eat with you it's not like you know now I just rock up to Grand Central and I'm having a burger in the food court and someone's like a meter away having their burger but we've got nothing to do with each other I don't care just like don't have a sip of my Pepsi you know um but in the first century world, proximity at table fellowship is tantamount to saying, let us join lives together. What is true of you becomes true of me. And so the Pharisees, they would never eat with sinners because if we join lives together and what's true of you becomes true of me and what's true of me becomes true of you, then if you're a sinner, you will infect me with your sin. Ew, I don't want to have get your cooties. But Jesus knows something. He knows why he must dine with Zacchaeus. Because, of course, to dine with someone is to join lives together. And Jesus is not remotely cautious about who he dines with. He is not remotely afraid of your cooties. He is not remotely afraid that what is true of you will become true of him. Because he already plans it on the cross. He plans to be a sacrifice. He plans to be a substitute on the cross. He plans to inhale the brokenness and the sin and the darkness and the shame from humanity. So every meal that Jesus has is an advanced screening of his resurrection life where he lives a new life and says, now let me raise you from the dead and you join me in newness of life as well. And Jesus has one eye on the cross and one eye across you over the table. And what he really says is, man, I'm not scared to join lives with you because if you join lives with me, what's true of me will be true of you. And I've got a case of divine life, baby. I've got a case of healing. I've got a case of wholeness. I've got a case of righteousness. I've got a case of bright shininess. And I'm going to make sure that I get to your dinner tables, Zacchaeus. I must join lives with you because then if I join lives with you, what's true of me will be true of you. And you can come out of hiding. You can come out of your tree. You won't be a little bright, shiny fella anymore. You will be a son of Abraham because the son of man, you thought you were seeking something, but the son of man, he came to seek and save what is lost. Could it be, friends, in this word today? This is what I always found in the Word of God. That in the Word of God, without fail, every time, when we open its pages and we open our heart to it, Jesus, in that moment, uses His Word as a trans dimensional portal to overlap our natural, broken, pain-filled, shame-shattered earthly lives with heaven. and Every time we're in the Word for a second, heaven and earth are just overlapping. And we stand between those two worlds. And as we stand between those two worlds, in, 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 in the Word of God, Jesus comes, and He stands at the bottom of our tree, and He says... I know you're up a tree. Some of us in this room, we feel like we're up a tree with our pain and up a tree with our addictions and up a tree. You know, it's like sometimes, you know, with the things of God, I'm just up a tree with the things of God. And in the word of God, Jesus comes and he stands at our tree and he says, come down out of hiding. I must join lives with you. I must, I must. So back to my friend Jenny, after I told her to shut up and I hugged her. The very next Sunday night, she came to church and I was preaching at the end. I said, hey, if you want prayer, just come on down the front. And this lady comes walking down that I didn't recognize. And I'm thinking, she kind of looks familiar, but who is she? And I mean, I'm getting old, so I have that experience all the time. Oh, it's my kid, you know. Um, (laughs) She comes walking down the aisle, but her face is a glow, and she's smiling one of those smiles. You know when people, they they smile and their teeth become like headlamps on a Maserati? You know, it was just the biggest smile. I was like, this person is happy. And it's Alice Springs, so I said, this person's happy. I wonder if they've been doing drugs. And it wasn't. And as she gets closer, I realize that's Jean. And she comes out and and she's like, hi, Pastor Ben. And she's so happy. And I am, I'm thinking, this is either awesome or really bad. Like, is it what is this a good smile or is this a I've backslidden onto drug smile? She goes, Pastor Ben, you know the other week, you know last week when you when when you you told me to shut up and then you prayed for me and I cried. I have just been so good this week. Like, honestly, my heart is filled with joy. And it's like something happened to me in that moment, Buster Ben. It's like, God healed me. And now I understand what you were saying. And she's had a a life-changing encounter with God over the last seven days. Lived completely differently. I said, that is so awesome. And I thought she's coming for. her. I said, can I pray for you? And what I didn't realize is standing right behind her is someone in a hoodie with the hoodie pulled right over their head. She goes, this is my cousin Shay. And she slumps her forward and this girl comes forward. This girl is covered in red dirt. She had just got out of jail on the night before, slept in the riverbed. It's very common in our part of the world for people. No rain and stuff. She's covered in dust from the thing. She said, this is my cousin Shay. She just got out of jail. she had been sleeping in the riverbed, but I found her and I told her to come to church. This the Pastor Ben, Pastor Ben, can, can, can you tell her to shut up like you told me to shut up? Hey, one wanna... God intervenes and changes our lives. What what Jen had to do and what Shay had to do and what I had to do all those years ago was I had to understand that in the gospel message the Holy Spirit hovers over that gospel message. Like right now in this room the Holy Spirit is hovering in this room over all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our lives. you're watching online the Holy Spirit's hovering over your heart, over your life, over your mind. And in the gospel if we all put up our spiritual antenna we all have one if we're black belt Christians or like two, two left feet at a dance party type people. Um if we put up our spiritual antenna and what we know and what we, what we intuit and what we leech from the atmosphere is we leech this word from God that speaks to our hearts. And if you put up your spiritual antenna right now, this is what it sounds like. Hey. My son, my daughter, my child, I love you. I'm for you. I yearn to fill you. I yearn to come into your life. I yearn to join lives with you. Like Zakiya Sapatri, I yearn to stay with you, to reside with you, to dine with you. And if we all put up our spiritual antenna, we'll hear that voice right now in our hearts. And how you respond to the gospel message is you, you connect with that voice, you, you, you log on to God's presence. And you draw a line and you say God of the universe no matter where I've been going to and no matter where I've been coming from I'm turning around I'm turning around and I'm crossing over that line the line of faith, the line of decision and I'm coming towards you and I'm saying, okay, yes, Jesus, I'm getting out of my tree. Yes, Jesus, come and stay in my life. Yes, Jesus, join lives with me. Yes, Jesus, let your sacrifice be healing and transformative for me. Yes, Jesus, let your resurrection be something I join in and live in you. My answer is yes, God. My answer is yes. I'm crossing over the line and I'm coming towards you, God. Make me your child. God, I want to be a follower of yours now. I want to live this out. I want. I thank you that you've been seeking me and now I'm going to seek after you, God. So you respond to the gospel message and honestly it changed my life 20 years ago when I did it but I respond to the gospel message every day God today I'm making sure I'm joining lives with you I'm following you I'm walking in your direction I wonder if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room today here in this place let's put up our spiritual antenna I know I know All through this room, King Jesus, by His visible presence, His Spirit is hovering and He's saying to people, that's you, friend. That's you, my son. That's you, my daughter. Come on, now's your turn. Now's your time. Say yes to me. Say yes to the gospel. Come on, be my child. Come out of your tree. Come out of hiding. Be my follower. And I want to pray for two groups of people. Here's the first group. Those in this room who say, Pastor Ben, I've got my spiritual antenna up and I know that God is calling me today. But if you have never ever, ever, ever in your life said yes to Jesus and drawn that line in the sand and said, God, I'm coming to you and you want to right now, I'm going to pray for you. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to leave you in your seat, but I want to know a sign to me and a sign to God that you're saying, yeah, I'm coming out of my tree. Please pray for me. I just want you to shoot one hand up for heaven right now. I'm going to leave you where you're seated, but I'm going to include you in my prayer. Thank you, my friend. I can see that hand from the front to the back. Who else in this room right now? I know God is hovering. Come on, that's you. Good on you, friend. Good on you. Who else? Hand up in the air. Yeah, Pastor Ben. That's me. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, buddy. Good on you, mate. Good on you. Hey, champ, that's a good decision. That's a good decision, mate. Can I give you a moment? Who else in this room? Hand up in the air. Yeah, Pastor Ben, that's me. First time. First time I I just want to say yes to, to Jesus. I want to cross over that line. I'm going to pray for you. If you raised your hand, put your hand on your heart. It's not magic or anything like that. It's just a symbol saying, hey, I'm having a fresh start right now with God. Father, I pray for people under the sound of my voice, those online who are making that decision this morning. Hey, help me, God. Come into my life, Lord. Help me draw that sign. Help me, help me be your follower. Father, I pray for my friends in this room. I know you have so much goodness in them. Let them know in this word. Let them know in this prayer. Let them know in this decision today that they are following you, that they are joining your family, that they're joining lives. Of you. I pray for them, Lord. Bless them. Call them. Heal them. Call them out of their shame. In Jesus' name in jesus name hey thank you to those people the second group i want to pray for those who are just this morning saying you know what pastor ben god has shown me this morning that there's a tree i've been up i don't know what it is and i sure don't want to embarrass you but there's a tree i've been up and in the word of god today i recognize god calling me out of that tree and i want to respond it's not a salvation call she's saying hey okay god i'm going to do it and if that's you i want you to put one or two hands up to heaven right now and say say god I, I, i'm coming out of my hiding I'm coming out of my shame I'm coming out of my pain. Father, I pray for my friends in this room right now that you've spoken to today, that you would hover over their brokenness and their pain and their shame and whatever tree they've been stuck up, God, that you would move in their lives, that you would give them grace, blessing, and set them free. Love on them, Jesus. Love on them, Father. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Hey, I hope you can come back and join us tonight. Thanks for having me in your church, by the way. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to be preaching a message called Love Towards the Goal. And I'm going to sort of carry on this same thought, but about how does Jesus move us forward? You know how he does it? He loves us to where we need to be. Really hope you can come out. I know you'll be blessed by the word of God. Love you. Thank you for having me this morning. God bless you. Pastor Chris.